Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in this podcast are not necessarily those of the companies for which they work. Due to the coronavirus lockdown, the CIM Podcast is currently being recorded via web conferencing. We apologise for any issues with the audio. Hi everybody and welcome back to the CIM Marketing Podcast. What is a marketer? It sounds like a simple question, but it may not have a simple answer. And who better to tackle this perhaps tricky question than marketer, brand strategist, editor, and all-round polymath, Morag Kudafer-Jones, who is editor of uh, CIM's Catalyst magazine. Morag, how are you today? I am very well. I'm polymathing along quite nicely. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's, a fair, it's fair, though, isn't it, that actually... It's not quite as simple an answer as one might think, is it? What, to your mind, makes a marketer? It, it really isn't simple. And I don't think I have a simple answer for that either. I think in encountering the various types of marketer, the various marketing personalities that I've come across in the 20-something years I've been writing about the subject, they continually surprise me. The level of involvement in their businesses as a whole surprises me. And the level of their involvement outside their business really surprises me. Um, What I've found in the last couple of months, I interviewed Peter Markey from TSB, who is now at Boots for the magazine. But I've also interviewed a number of other marketers about their marketing lives recently for for a number of reasons. And one thing that's really struck me is just how much involvement they have in the wider world. You know, and I don't think a marketer, I think one thing that's come out of that is that I don't think a marketer can be a great marketer without stepping outside any narrow definition of marketing. I think they have to be involved in the wider world. That makes it incumbent on them to do a lot more than their job, though, doesn't it? If you're saying you have to be sort of well-read, well-exposed, interested in all manner of things that are outside your field of expertise, it becomes a very all-encompassing role, doesn't it, being a marketer or at least being a good marketer? Do you know what? It sounds exhausting. And I put that to Pete. I also put it to, I've spoken recently to Cheryl Calverley, who's the CMO at EVE. Um, And what they both have in common, apart from the fact that they both did a um, improv comedy routine for Red Nose Day last year and the fact that they've both been on a number of panels and all these top 100 marketers, etc., is that their lifestyles sound exhausting. They're doing their day job. Then they're involved in, um, you know, judging all these top lists and design competitions, etc., Uh, They're involved in bringing on next generations of marketers. They do these comic relief skits, which wasn't just them. It was 10 CMOs um, all getting together and rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing. It wasn't just, you know, turn up, be funny, go away. Uh, They go to things like Festival of Marketing, Ad Week, talk to various people. There's time that goes into presenting and preparing all of that stuff. And then, you know, Peter also said that, you you know, he just happened to have done an MBA in the middle of all of this. And I said, how do you even sleep? You know, this sounds exhausting to me. Um, You pull a long day and then you're doing all this extracurricular stuff. And both of these people, both Peter and Cheryl, when I spoke to her said, we love the industry. 
We love what we do. And it's this whole thing about, you know, go and work in a job you love, you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I think that might be a bit rosy, but I get the impression that they are incredibly passionate about what they do and that when they go off and do these things, it's maybe not leisure time, but it's something that they're enjoying so much that it doesn't actually feel as effortful as me from the outside looking in thinks it might be. What about you though? You're a marketer by profession, a brand strategist by profession. You're now editor of Catalyst magazine, which is a marketing magazine. So you're a marketing journalist. It strikes me that the things that you've just described as being exhausting, you're actually describing yourself because you've got a pretty all-encompassing passion for marketing and a marketing existence. So perhaps you're more alike the Pete Marquis and the and the Cheryl Carvel is than you might assume. I don't know. I feel pretty exhausted. <laughs> um, no, you're absolutely right. I think one of the things that I've discovered, I, you called me a polymath. I'm not sure I can sort of go up with the greats like Stephen Fry, who probably is a real polymath. Um, but certainly portfolio. I'd say I have a portfolio career, like many people who, who work for themselves. You know, so I'm a freelance journalist. I've done some marketing, some content strategizing. You can add loads of labels to things. And I work across a range of publications, a range of companies. All these things sound exhausting if you're juggling them all the time from the outside. But there are, no matter how different some of them can be, there are massive synergies. Mm. And if you imagine, you said earlier that, um, you know, how do these guys make time to go and sit and read about the industry and build their knowledge? Well, I'm not sure necessarily that they do do that. I don't do that, not intentionally anyway. But what I do do is I research information for a white paper on cybersecurity, or I delve deeply into how AI is going to impact healthcare, all, all for, you know, paid gigs, as it were. But you don't just, you know, you don't just hand in your work and erase that information. Stats stay, sources stay. You can delve back into your own back catalogue if you want to. And suddenly I find that, you know, approaching what might be a, a totally different subject to something I was doing yesterday isn't that mental gymnastics that you would necessarily need to do if you're coming to it fresh. So I think having a broad interest like these marketers, I think their broad interest and broad ranges of expertise, rather than being exhausting, they are feeding everything that they do in the future. And that's really how, how Pete says that he's approached his career. You know, it can seem very much like he must have to perform very big mental vault facets to go from finance to post office to insurance to banking and now to boots to healthcare. But actually, it's all it's all about digital or it's all about transformation or it's all about data. And it's all feeding into what he's doing next. Is it more than about a psychology? You know, I've got a friend who says that she uses the phrase marketers are a very distinctive breed. And I don't know if they're a breed insofar as you know, they're born to the job and they, they suddenly, uh, you know, immerse themselves in all the things in which they need to be immersed to be able to be this good big picture marketer that you've just described. But is there something about the psychology of a marketer that they are interested in interesting things, they immerse themselves, they read, um, they surround themselves by interesting people who can challenge them? Is there something in that that creates this innovative mindset which makes people predisposed to be a good, effective marketer? I think you're absolutely right. That's one thing that Cheryl was saying was that she I said, you know, what what is it that that's fueling this passion? Why do you think you're finding it so easy? She just went, I am massively curious. 
I'm hugely curious about everyone and everything. And I guess, you know, maybe, maybe journalism and journalists in the marketing sphere are starting to become a little bit meta about the whole thing because, you know, we're interested in the marketers who are interested in the world. Um, so, yeah, I think if you're curious, again, it's not hard work to go and find stuff out. Um, that's, that's part of the process that I enjoy more than anything else. I mean, if you talk to any of my university tutors, you would absolutely laugh at my inability to submit anything on time. But I enjoyed the process of finding out about it. It was just, you know, getting the words on paper was tricky. So that whole curiosity piece and that feeds into everything that marketers are about, because what do we all say? Marketers need to know the customer. Well, how are you going to know the customer unless you're curious about them? You know, are there parameters or boundaries where your knowledge then ceases to become useful? Or is it all knowledge, all experiences, all ideas? Can they potentially offer your mix as a marketer? I certainly. I certainly wouldn't say there are limits. I certainly think there's a limit to the amount of stuff you can put in your head of a day. Um, you know, 13 facts in my head, put in another one and the other one pops out my ear. But I never discount the randomness of information. Some of the really peculiar links that have been made between things. But, you know, you take, for example, this wasn't necessarily a marketing exercise, but the well-vaunted trying to find the world's strongest glue. I think I trot this out every other podcast. <laughs> so I'm trying to make the strongest glue and it made the weakest and lo, the post-it was born. But, you know, I doubt, I think that would have been discounted. It would have gone in the rubbish bin. It would have been, you know, strangled at birth. Had it not probably been for somebody in that organization who was wildly curious going, well, hang on a minute, before we throw away what is now deemed to be an utter failure, what can we do with it? And that's curiosity. What can we do with this? This seems like it's totally random and totally unconnected. Is there anything we can do with it? And there's things that have been sitting in my head for years that suddenly pop out. I'll tell you one thing, very random. Here we go. This is the random idea generator. When I went for my first journalism job, it was only the second job I'd ever had. And it, the thought of interviews struck fear into my heart. Um, so I went to the interview and I got that all that all encompassing question you know something along the lines of what's what's wrong with you what 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 what's a bad thing about yourself that you can tell us you you're always fishing for that thing that's that's bad but actually a little bit good you know the typical thing that says you know well the worst thing about me is I'm a perfectionist i think we can all agree that is not the case with me <laughs> so random piece of information i had the brownie guide handbook and it was my favorite piece of literature when I was a little girl because I was going to be a brownie and it was all the uniform and all the rules and everything else. There's a picture in that handbook of a good brownie and a bad brownie. The good brownie has newspaper on the table, has their marigolds on and is buffing the brass beautifully and everything is in place, not a hair is out. The bad brownie also has a shining piece of brass but has covered herself, her uniform, her hair and everything around her in brasso. Right. And I said to the interviewer, I'm the bad brownie. Right, right. I may look a little chaotic. You probably will get annoyed by the state of my desk, but you will have a shiny piece of brass at the end of it. Yes. And you will have you will have you will have been innovative in where you can get the brasso as well. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are no limits on where you put the brasso, presumably. You know, try a bit of brasso on the windowsill. It might work, you know, it might improve the windowsill. Random things that don't work is nail polish remover on the inside of your dad's most treasured vintage car leather. Right, but at least you tried it, right? It might have worked. I don't think he saw it that way, 
but yes, it might have worked. <laughs> it might have worked. It might have worked. But there's an interesting point in the, in the comedy about execution, though, isn't there? Because if marketers are people that immerse themselves uh, in ideas, they're experimenters, they're yeah. big picture people, they're ideas people, they are the bad brownies and therefore the good brownies. How do they convince? How do they execute it? Because it's more to be a good marketer, you have to be able to do more than the ideas, don't you? You have to be able to execute uh, your ideas and push your ideas and make the case for your ideas to the business. So there's more to this, there's more needed to be a good marketer, to be an effective marketer than just being good at ideas and immersing yourself and being curious. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's no way I'm saying that the marketers are just going out there and winging it by the seat of their pants and, you know, literally like improv comedy, making it up as they go along. Um, marketing is, it is this combination of art and science. So the art and the gut feel, uh, the gut feel is always denigrated. No, the gut feel is good. It's there. There's a reason for that gut feel. And it probably comes from all that life experience and interactivity that you've had with other people. But that has to be then married with the science. And science, you can't just make it up as you go along. So you have your data, you have your metrics, you have your parameters, you have your tried and tested campaigns that you learn from, you have all your insights, and you take all that science and you apply it to the art. You go, okay, I think I've got a brilliant idea about glue that won't stick. I'm now going to apply it to a bunch of my, my core segment, which is primary school teachers. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, but they really want glue that sticks. They want it that doesn't stick too hard, but they do need it to stick because otherwise all the little kids' things are going to fall apart. So they've got to know. They need to have the insights from the customers. You know, what do customers need? How often do they need it? At what price? That's when that they become convincing. That's when they go from being just crazy ideas people, what they often call the creatives, mm. crazy ideas people, and that's when they become marketers. So can anyone become a marketer then? Do you need to have certain things within your psychology which you can then hone into the delivery, if that makes sense? Um, as far as you need to have a curious personality, you need to be able to immerse yourself, you need to be enthusiastic about the world and the world around you in order to know your customer, in order to have the ideas. And the science of it, the, 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 the execution bit, is something that could be a learned behaviour. Is that right? You're absolutely right. The amount of conversations I had now, let's see. I reckon going back possibly as much even as 15 years or so. So remember, data is nothing new under this earth. Before we say data and digital are brand new, they've been around for donkeys. Um, but we were starting to talk about the shortage of data scientists and data analysts when it became clear just how central data was to the ability to match it with digital and profile customers and increase personalization, all that good stuff. And there was a massive shortage of people who could really crunch those numbers at the same time as understanding the implication in digital channels because it was all new. So they tended to be quite young people because they were growing up as digital natives. You know, as a lot of companies have said, we, we have to buy this stuff in because we can't teach it. By the time we're done teaching it, the whole industry's moved on again. And so I was asking people at the time where are you getting these massively data literate people? What, aren't you worried that you're going to get a bunch of data scientists who have no left brain, right brain, which apparently is a myth anyway, but who have none of this? It's a useful cipher. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's who don't have any of this creativity or curiosity. And they said, do you know what? I'd rather go and find a creative, curious person 
and teach them how to add up than find a data scientist who has no concept of what their output is going to mean for the for the business. So yes, it was what is teachable, what is not. What is not teachable is passion, interest, yes, a degree of creativity. I remember, you know, we talked about this in our in our last edition. What is creativity? Where do we get it from? And while a lot of it can come from inspiration, learning and understanding your brand, there is a certain, you know, that je ne sais quoi that that creative people have to be able to understand and translate that into a brief and then translate that into a tangible thing for the business. But you can't teach all of it. It has to be innate. Now, a lot of people probably have it. Marketing is a very broad church. There, there's, you know, there's something for everyone in marketing. You can be very data-led. Um, but you have to have a passion for products or a passion for customers or a passion for communication not necessarily all three at the same time, but at least one of them. You use this phrase about psychological seeds. They don't always have to be the same psychological seeds. They can be different seeds. They can be an interesting customer. They can be interested in product. They can be interesting comms. Some people have got more than one seed, but they all have some seed within their psyche. And then there are a whole bunch of learned behaviours, um, which is the science of delivering, the science of execution, the science of making the case for your ideas for the to the business. And you use this phrase broad church you know, in the magazine coming forward. And I do commend this magazine to the audience. It's going to be out this spring. It's always a fantastic read and of course available free to CIM members in both print and digital. And in this magazine, you've got two very high profile interviews with very high profile marketers. Pete Markey, who's the new Boots CMO and patients are key. I know who is CEO of Holland Garner, which is an insurance company. Now, they have come to being a senior marketer from two extremely different routes, haven't they? They have. So Peter Markey is who I would describe as being a dyed-in-the-wool marketer. Started out in brand, started out in marketing, worked his way through, you'll see in his CV. Um, and what's unique about him is he has transition from company to company, from sector to sector, gathering knowledge along the way. But marketing has been the very iron core of what he does. Patience Akiyanu, on the other hand, is um, Ghana's Women in Marketing Marketer of the Year. She's not a marketer, or at least not by title. She's not a marketer. She's Women in Marketing Marketer of the Year um, for uh, the Chartered Institute of Marketing Ghana. But she is not a marketer. So hang on a second. Let's just let's just pause here for a second. My opening question to you at the top of the show was, what is a marketer? And part of the answer is you can be a marketer. You can be an award winning marketer without actually being a marketer. Bingo. There you go. <laughs> um, yes. So Mark, the, the point being marketer is not nor has ever really been in her job title. Managing director has been banker has been, financial expert has been, and now CEO is her title. But she is not, by trade, I suppose you would call it, a marketer. But what has made her stand out, particularly to those who decided that she should get Marketer of the Year, is her excellence in marketing. Marketing is at the core of customer experience. It's at the core of business growth. It's been at the core of how she develops not just her company, but her staff and her community as well. 
I mean, some of the ideas that have been, I don't doubt that they weren't created collectively. She has a very strong marketing team. Um, but some of the ideas that the company has put in place to grow its business are so very much within the marketing pantheon. The idea of putting insurance kiosks in superstores. And it's a genius idea of thinking customer because it's thinking about psychology, isn't it? If you're out doing a chore anyway, you're going to the supermarket, which is a chore. I mean, to be honest, in the pandemic, it's become a bit of a pleasure. It's probably yeah. the only reason we ever get to see anybody else. But that aside, uh, normally it is, a, it is a chore. If you're in chore mode, adding another chore onto it doesn't isn't daunting as if you having you're sitting around on a Saturday morning or a Sunday afternoon or whenever it may be thinking oh I better now go online and do out do my insurance it just becomes this daunting ugly chore that you don't want to do so it's genius it's thinking customer it's a piece of marketing by a non-marketeer it is and I think this is one of the things that was I wouldn't I, revelatory might be a little strong but we've been tussling with this question for some years now, haven't we? How do we get marketing out of a marketing silo? And I think one of the biggest problems is that we still think of marketers as communicators. Yeah. Part of their job, yes. Some marketers are advertising execs. Some, adver some marketers are brand managers. But marketing isn't just communicating. Marketing is price, merchandising, sales, business growth, business development, employee engagement. It, there is not a part of the business it doesn't touch. And if somebody says it's not part of engineering, I'll come and bop them on the nose. Like you're going to go to engineering and R&D and tell them what customers want. It's true. true. I mean, one of my notes here, I sat at home for the benefits of the audience, you can't see it, he is. Sat at home on my desk scribbling notes as Morag speaks. And it's the friction in the organization. You know, this is what I was going to ask you a question about friction between marketers and the rest of the organization, some of which is necessary, good friction. But a lot of engineers wouldn't say or would, would directly oppose the idea that marketers are part of engineering. And you're saying, of course they are. Well, of course they are. A lot of engineers would, pray, would say, of course they are not. Well, this, the, the friction I think you're talking about is the idea that marketing is dictating, isn't it? No, no part of the organization should be dictating to another. Certainly suggesting working collaboratively, building together. And I'm also not suggesting that everyone lives together in some halcyon committee-based organization, nothing would ever get done. But the idea that some marketer who doesn't understand a right angle from a set square would you know, pitch up and say, you need to make a widget with X. That's not what we mean. What we mean is R&D are coming up with these ideas. Marketing is coming up with this insight. The two meet together and marketers go, that's a fantastic idea, but we'd have to find a customer for it. Whereas here we've got a customer without a thing that you can, you can deal with, you can adjust that. So maybe we will make that thing where we have to go and find the customer, but that's in phase X of our company's growth. Incidentally, two other great features we have in the magazine coming out are along the con concept of one, how do you grow a business? And two, how do you innovate? And they both touch on that from different angles, which is where do you find the great ideas? And how do you make those great ideas become reality? And also, why do so many great ideas fail? Most often, I would suggest, it's because they are great ideas in search of a customer. Yes, yes, of solutions looking yeah. for a problem. Exactly, and marketers bring the customer. Marketers bring the customer. Do all of these marketers, Pete Markey, Patience, 
um, other senior marketers that you've come across who may or may not have marketing in their jobs are, do they all accept that they are marketers or is it their industry and their professional lives that have deemed them to be marketers? Patience doesn't have in her job title. Does she see herself as a marketer? Interesting question, because I'm not entirely sure she does. Um, however, I think it's you're very much molded by the company you work for. But let's say you're a very creative, ad hoc type of marketer. You need to find yourself in an organization that's going to welcome that approach. Doesn't necessarily need to be an organization that's, you know, a bit hippy dippy and has not got many rules and regulations. It just needs to be one that is comfortable with marrying the way it works with the way that you approach your, your particular formula of marketing. Now, everyone moves and flexes. You know, you won't always stick severely to the way that you do things. As I said, we learn as we go through the various people we work for and with. And so you mold to each other a little bit. But you have to have that match. And you'll have marketers who are very science-driven, very data-led, really quite good at working within strict parameters, perhaps marketers in highly regulated industries, for example. They wouldn't want to be in a kind of hippy-dippy organization because they want to have those, those tram lines to be within. So it's not so much as what is a marketer and does somebody consider themselves a marketer. There are umpteen different flavors of marketer and umpteen different flavors of company those marketers work for. And I think it's very, it's a dating game, you know, finding your chemistry and who you're going to work with. Well, one man who we've mentioned earlier in today's show is Pete Markey, and he has found his own chemistry at a variety of organizations, moving around from place to place and developing his skills as he goes. Morag, you spoke to him, didn't you, recently for Catalyst magazine? There's only been a couple of jobs I've been what I'm corporably unhappy in. The majority, 90 plus percent of them, have been jobs I've, I've loved, but, but I've just seen an opportunity somewhere else that is, is going to be a bit more stretching. And I think particularly the last few jobs I've taken have been really about, about where marketing is going. So if I look at the journey, when I left post office, it was quite a difficult decision because I've been there two years. I, I love the business. I still do. But the job at Aviva was about digital transformation, about being in the driving seat of um, you know, cutting edge marketing tech and data and I looked at the job at post office and went look I could keep doing this for a couple more years and I can try and teach myself and learn stuff or I can go into a business where I'm in the driving seat of this big investment in data digital and transformation which is everywhere marketing is going and I can drive that and transform and take all that learning on or, or as I say I can keep doing what I'm doing and do a bit more of the same hopefully better and I looked at the Aviva opportunity and went, you know what, I need to go and do this. I need to go and stretch myself. I need to go and become more cutting edge and not inadvertently become a bit of a marketing dinosaur, which I think if you don't keep moving and evolving, and that, that can also be moving and evolving in the current job you're doing, you do end up treading water too much and standing still. Morag, this has been a fascinating uh, conversation. We started off with a, with a simple but clearly not simple to answer question of what is a marketer. Well, we've learned today that a marketer doesn't have to be in name and title a marketer. In fact, some of the very best marketers aren't marketers in name and title. We've learned that there are lots of skills on the delivery of marketing, the science, if you like, of the execution that can be learned. Yet we've also learned that there are some things that you need innately inside you uh, about curiosity, about communication, 
about empathy with a customer that perhaps are harder and in some cases impossible to learn. So when you're starting out, you know, at 18 or 21 or 22, or even when you are at another career and you're looking to change careers, uh, perhaps into marketing in your 30s or your 40s, what are the questions do you think that you should ask yourself before you decide to go down that route? Passion and interest in your particular area, I think, has, has got to be a given. You know, do you want to, to talk about it? Can you see something interesting about household bleach? It's really just all about, does this interest me? Do these people interest me? Does this sector interest me? Can I get on board with doing this? Would I be happy about doing this at seven o'clock at night? We don't want anyone not to have any work-life balance. But one thing I've noticed about some of the most passionate marketers is that they really don't mind being at an industry event at seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock on a weekday night. They love to give of their time because it doesn't feel like work. All work's going to feel like work. I'm a pragmatist. But when you can get excited about that work, surely that's the best kind of work to have. Sounds like great advice. Maura Kudrishwood-Jones, thanks very much. It's always a pleasure to have you on and get hold of your copy of Capitalist CIM members this spring. It will, as ever, be a fantastic read. Thanks very much, Morag. Thanks, Ben. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the CIM Marketing Podcast on your platform of choice. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can also join the conversation on Twitter at CIM underscore exchange, where we'll keep you updated about the latest episodes. See you next time. CIM Marketing Podcast.